You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Ukraine investigates Saturday's power outages amid speculation it might be either a demonstration or misdirection. German police track terrorist Spore online. Pakistani hackers hit Google's Bangladesh domain, possibly for the lulls. Speaking of the lulls, our mind is back and messing with Twitter accounts. NIST is looking for some post-quantum standards. Bossner renegotiation goes on hold. And the shadow brokers offer a low, low price for equation group code if you act now. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, December 21st, 2016. Ukraine continues to investigate Saturday's apparent cyber attack on the electrical utility serving Kyiv and its environs. Authorities, who say the outage was remediated in less than an hour and a half, disclosed the incident yesterday. There's no confirmation yet that the outage was due to a cyber attack, although suspicions are running high. Last December's grid disruption in western Ukraine is generally believed to have been the work of Russian intelligence services, but there's no attribution so far of this latest incident. F-Secure's Miko Hyponin speculated in an interview with Reuters that if this is indeed a cyber attack, it could have two purposes. It might be either a show of power, aimed at driving home the message that Ukraine's government can't protect its citizens, or it could be serving as misdirection and cover for some other as-yet-unknown or undisclosed operation. German police pursue suspected terrorists' online trail as ISIS claims responsibility for the murders committed at the Berlin Christmas market. ISIS appears to be concentrating its recruiting effort on children. One 12-year-old is suspected of building a nail bomb for use against crusader targets. Much caliphate current chatter appears to fantasize about attacking Christians observing Christmas. In the subcontinent, the Team Pack cyber attackers deface Google's Bangladesh domain with a security awareness taunt. The incident seems more skid caper than patriotic hacktivism or any other serious attempt on Bangladesh networks by a regional rival. Our Mine is back, hacking a Netflix Twitter account and other high-profile online identities. Our Mine is thought to consist of a small group of youths, with one of the leaders possibly operating out of Saudi Arabia. Panasonic denies with some heat an IO-active report that Panasonic in-flight entertainment systems could compromise airline passenger data or even open flight control systems to interference. IO-active stands by its claims. After last week's disclosure of Yahoo's second major breach, Verizon is rumored to be reviewing its planned acquisition of Yahoo's core assets. What Verizon eventually does is likely to set significant precedents in M&A activity. Incident response plans for cybersecurity breaches are kind of like smoke alarms and fire extinguishers. You hope you'll never have to use them, but if you do, you'll be really glad you have them in place. 
We heard from Sam McLean from Arctic Wolf about good IR planning and what's often overlooked. And the real keys revolve around sort of three areas. There's sort of promote, plan, and then practice. And, and what, I'm, what I'm talking about there from a promotion perspective is start with executive buy-in. Um, if you are a security person, a, a CISO, or even just a security manager, and you don't get buy-in at the highest, you don't have an executive sponsor to help promote the, the plan within the company, when you know the rubber hits the road and you actually need to draw from other people, you need a legal representative or someone from HR, you need to pull more of the IT team in, you then have to go sort of barter to get their time slices. Um, and that should be all set up beforehand. Everyone should 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 understand the requirements, their roles within an incident response plan. And that goes to the planning piece, which is have it written down. Have have it, it is not a large effort. There's probably a couple of weeks worth of work getting everything written down. And then you maybe have a meeting once a quarter or once every six months with all the constituents so that they just understand, hey, here are the changes in the plan. Uh, maybe someone in HR is left and you need to get a new representative. But but keeping that fresh, even at a, at a, at a semi-annual sort of rate, is good enough so that when it does happen, it's not like you're scrambling. And then practice. At least once a year, you should do some kind of a drill um, where you, know, you, you go in, you get an incident, and you run it to ground. And we participate in those all the time. That, you know, some people call them tabletop security exercises, where our champion at a customer will say, hey, I need you to, to, to fake a ransomware incident. And so we'll call our escalation chain within the customer. Everyone knows it's happening, but then they follow the correct procedures, and we go through you know, initial response, remediation steps, post-mortem documentation, and walk through the whole thing for customers. And those three things are sort of the basic foundational aspects of having a proper incident response plan. And so what are some of the areas that people tend to overlook? So the the biggest thing that, that we found is just maintaining good documentation. Um, in in, in mid-sized companies, the people that are actually going to execute different aspects of your incident response plan change quite frequently. They either get promoted, they move departments, or they just turn over. And so you'll wind up having someone new in a job that's never even heard of the incident response plan, and we call them as your frontline help desk person and say, hi, this is Sam from Arctic Wolf. So-and-so just got fished, and here's the username, and here's the workstation ID, and they have no idea what to do. And so we have to walk them through it and we coach them. But that sort of keeping people trained, keeping people up to date, just understanding who owns what in that is probably the biggest problem. Because at the end of the day, if it's a significant enough security um, issue, you'll be able to get the right people and you'll go do the work and it'll just happen. It's just how much pain do you want to go through when it occurs? That's Sam McLean from Arctic Wolf. In the U.S., the National Institute of Standards and Technology has asked cryptographers for input on information security standards in a post-quantum computing world. The Institute's call for proposals for post-quantum cryptography standardization is available online in the Federal Register. Quantum computing is seen as posing a possible fatal threat to the widely used public key cryptographic systems that protect banking and other online transactions. NIST hopes to be able to replace its three cryptographic standards most vulnerable to quantum computing. The week has seen another cryptographic initiative, this one from the private sector. It comes in the form of Google's Project Weichproof, which aims to help developers avoid replicating vulnerabilities in open-source cryptographic libraries. 
We heard from security firm Synopsys on Project Weishproof, and they approve. Adam Brown, Synopsys Security Solutions Manager, said, quote, This is great for developers who have considered security in the first place to make sure they get encryption right. In our testing activities in the field, where we take a data-centric approach, we frequently see weak encryption or no cryptography at all, end quote. This is, he thinks, especially a problem in back-end systems interacting with data stores. Vossener renegotiation will be deferred, and in the U.S. that means it will be left up to the incoming administration. The two-year effort to revise the agreements has adjourned without reaching consensus. The major sticking point is the regime's language about intrusion control software, which most in the security industry think would severely limit legitimate and indeed essential white hat security research. And finally, the shadow broker's English hasn't improved even to the point of broken plausibility, but we suspect that may be in the broker's eyes a feature and not a bug. As the grug has noticed, these guys are hilarious. Equation Group Code is still being offered at a deep, deep discount if you act now, but few observers think the shadow brokers are activists interested in sticking it to the man, or as the brokers would put it, wealthy elite, still less that they're actually interested in this as a commercial venture, however often they describe what they're up to as a business. As far as the retail discounting is concerned, with apologies to Madman Munts, it seems unlikely that the boss is on vacation and they've all gone crazy. Consensus has come to regard the shadow brokers as a Russian intelligence operation, and we know for a fact that Vladimir Vladimirovich can be reached even if he's relaxing at his DACA. Stay off Died Morris's naughty list, Vlad, and do say hello to Snegorochka for us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business.
Joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Joe, you know, we, we had this story come by recently about uh, the adult friend finder uh, hack. One of the things that caught my eye about that leak of credentials was there was a not an insig- insignificant number of addresses that were .gov and .mil addresses. Right, right. What it, an opportunity for someone who might have their hands on the OPM breach data. Right. 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 Yeah. Uh, you know, and obviously, you know, you could have extortion, you could have espionage, all sure. those sorts of things. But in this day and age, I, I thought we'd touch on just this notion of having burner email addresses. Absolutely. There, there is no reason if you're going to do something like this, uh, there's no reason at all to use a .gov or a .mil email address. I have a .edu email address and I, I send my wife emails from it and still feel a little bit funny doing that because I have a, a Gmail address and a right. Yahoo email address. And if I needed an email address for something that uh, was uh, of a temporary nature, it's easy enough to go out and create another email address on one of these providers. A, yeah, a Gmail address is free. A Yahoo yep. address is free. They're free. You can have them forward to to your, your yep. primary email address. You can actually even set them up so you can read them on different email clients. You don't have to use their web client. You can use use uh, email client of your choice. So, but there really is a security aspect to this as well. There might be situations where you need to, you know, create an account at somewhere where, you know, maybe you're not 100% sure that this is something you're either going to stay with for a long time or even you, you might right. have a funny feeling about them. That might be an opportunity to use a burner exactly. address as well. Exactly. Or you could do as, uh, as I do frequently uh, and as I actually talked my mom into doing at one point in time, and that is just set up an address for all your affinity programs um, so that you have an inbox where somebody says, what's your email address? And you give them, uh, it's joespam at yahoo.com. Uh, right, right, right. <laughs> yes, right. Okay, right. So anywhere where you think you're likely to be spammed, that'd be right. great. You have a spam catcher email. Sure. And, uh, and So just a black hole that you never check, or maybe you do check, but you just go in there and just select all, everything and delete it and move on. Right. Because it's not an email address where you would ever expect any any actual communication to come from. But the bottom line is <laughs> don't use your official email addresses right. for uh, for any of for these. For adult uh, friend finder. Yes, no, don't do that. Not a good idea. Not, not, nothing good can come of that. No good It'll can come of come that. And come uh, and get you in trouble. All right, Joe. Good talking to you. It's my pleasure, Dave. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the CyberWire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.
Hey all, Rick here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.